The scripture reading for us today is Mark 33 through 34, 6, 33 through 34. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate all and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The numbers of the men who had eaten was five thousand. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning, friends. That was not very enthusiastic. (laughs) Student Takeover Sunday here at MCA, and we've got a full house, so it's a joy to be together this morning. Thank you. I'm excited as we study the uh, Word of God together. You know, if you study the life and ministry of Jesus, it's just hard to miss all the miracles he does. If you look at what Jesus did when he was on the earth, he does things like turning water into wine. He tells the wind and the waves to be still, and they grow calm. He he does things that are miraculous. He does things that are impossible. When his friend Lazarus dies, and he shows up several days later, what does he do? Lazarus! He calls out. <laughs> the people there are thinking, how is, the, how is this happening? That guy's been in the tomb four days. He's in there looking like Shrek. And you're calling his name, and out comes Lazarus. He raises him from the dead. He gives sight to blind Bartimaeus. I think we talked about that one fairly recently. He heals a man's hand that's all shriveled up. He casts demons into a herd of pigs. Like, these are the stories that you read when you study the life and the ministry of Jesus. That that as he goes about an itinerant uh, preacher traveling from village to village, what he does is he heals people. People that have leprosy. People that cannot walk. Think of the man who was lowered down through the roof to Jesus. A paralytic. The people that were sick and dying, he healed them. He does things that are scientifically impossible, like walking on water. So let me ask us this morning, how is this possible? How can he do all of this? And when the unbelieving world looks at the stories of Jesus, like, what? You claim that he can call forth the dead from their tomb and out they come? You claim that he can walk on water? How is it that Jesus can do this? Well, he can do it, and those stories are all true, because he has remarkable power. Remarkable power, and that's just what we're going to talk about together this morning. 
So my name is John. I'm thrilled that you are with us today. And as always, I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger, your faith grows deeper. So I've got a trivia question for you this morning. You know something of the miracles that Jesus performed in his life that we have record of in Scripture. But did you know that only one of them is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts? Only one miracle is recorded in all four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Which one is it? It was on the screen earlier, Tiff. If you were in here early enough, you saw the trivia game that we had on the screen, and it was on there. So did anyone take note? That's right. Feeding the 5,000. That's the story we're going to look at. Jordan read, us for, read that for us this morning, the whole thing. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> Sorry for whatever, whatever confusion there was there, but great job. Appreciate you. Feeding the 5,000. Isn't that interesting? I'm not, I'm not going to make a whole lot of commentary on that. I don't know entirely what the significance is there other than to say it's important for us to study and to, to hone in on the remarkable power that Jesus has and his ability and this is really what we're going to see as we get into the, to the story today, that, that little is much when the Lord is in it. Do you agree with that? Little is much when the Lord is in it. In fact, there was a turkey farmer. His family just loved turkey legs. Oh, how he wished he could produce even more turkey legs. And so he was constantly trying to you know, find the, the perfect way to breed a turkey that was even better. And so... One day, after all sorts of different attempts, one day he proudly announces that he's done it. He's managed to come up with the turkey that has six legs. You're going to get six turkey legs with each one. So if naturally, his friends ask him, well, how do they taste? And he says, well, I don't know. I haven't been able to catch the darn thing. <laughs> well, life is like that sometimes, isn't it? Like, like it's full of frustration. And, and even when you do succeed, uh, you know, it's, it's often more than we can handle. You get to that point that you've always wanted to be there, and you've dreamt of it, but then you're actually there and in the moment, and it's overwhelming, and it's too much, and you don't know how to respond. I think this can be especially true when we're serving the Lord. And here's why. Because he asks us to do impossible things. He told the disciples, in the face of a, a very large crowd of people, to feed them. With what? He told them to feed the crowd. So, so this, is, this is true when, when God calls us to do things that are impossible. They're, they're beyond our ability to accomplish them. Like when Jesus says to you, love your enemy. Forgive those who have done you wrong, who have mistreated you, who have caused you harm. Love them pray for them, bless them. And you go, well, that's impossible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> or, or when Jesus says he wants you to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. With the world? Eight billion people? With my neighbor? Who, does, who, who doesn't know Jesus? Who doesn't want to hear that? It's hard. It's impossible. Or reaching the next generation in a culture that does not honor God. How, church? 
How are we going to reach the next generation? How are we going to raise up young men and women who are living in a culture that is vying for their affection in ungodly ways? He calls us to do impossible things, like deny ourselves and and live in service to others and and live in in sacrificial living radically for the kingdom of God. I like the way Howard Hendricks put it. He once said, living the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. (laughs) It's not hard. It's impossible. But thank the Lord this morning that what is impossible for us is possible for Jesus. Why? Because of his remarkable power. That's who he is. The power of the almighty God in our Lord Jesus Christ. That indeed, and this is what we'll find as we turn to the scriptures this morning, little is much when the Lord is in it. So turn in your Bibles with me, Mark chapter 6. Listen, this is not just a story about a big picnic. Okay, and I love children's ministry and I love sharing the scriptures with children. And sometimes when we when we get to this story and we do it in children's church or we or we share it with our kids at home, we go here. We're going to tell you this story about a great picnic. This is so much about so much more than Jesus feeding a lot of people. It's so much more than just a lot of people eating a meal. This is a story about Jesus, the bread of life. This is a story about his call for his followers to serve others and to, and to simply watch as the Lord takes whatever meager offering we have and he multiplies it. That's what this story is about. Okay, so we're in Mark chapter 6. Before we get to the feeding of the 5,000, earlier in the chapter, verses 7 through 12, this is important for us to set the context, Jesus sends out his followers. He sends out the twelve. He sends them out on mission to preach, to have authority over demons. And so what happens is his disciples go out on this ministry trip. It's like Jesus has been training them. They've been watching and observing what he does. And now he says, now it's your turn. Go out and do these things. And so they go out and they perform amazing things. They share the life-giving power of Jesus. They, They heal people. They see God working in amazing ways. So let's key in there, starting at verse 12. We're in Mark chapter 6. It says, they went out and preached that people should repent. Oh, so we shouldn't be surprised there. (laughs) We've talked about that in the last couple of weeks, haven't we? It was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus. Turns out it's the message of his followers as well. That that we've got to turn from what the world says we should be following. We've got to turn from where our hearts are lured into. And we've got to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, come what may. So that's what they preached. They preached that... People should repent. Verse 13, it says, They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Just last Sunday, uh, the elders gathered and we did a, a, a prayer and anointing in someone's home that had called on us to come and do that. The New Testament tells us that in the book of James. If you're sick, call on the elders. They will come and pray for you, anoint you with oil. So we follow that mandate. What a beautiful thing. And that's what the disciples were doing as well. So here's what happens. The disciples come back from this ministry trip. They come to Jesus, and they're just like at a level 11. They are just amped up, pumped up, and they're sharing all of what they did and all of what they experienced. They're just filled with adrenaline. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They've done amazing things for the Lord. They're rejoicing in their victories. And so they're telling stories. You, know, you can just imagine that kind of setting where they go, all right, I went in 
to this village. I met this guy. He, was, he had this affliction or affirmity, and, and I asked if I could pray with him, and, and he got healed. And then I told him about Jesus, and, and, and I told him about a life, an abundant life with Christ, and, and he said he was going to walk away from all those addictions and things dragging him down. He was going to follow Jesus. They're sharing these stories. You're never going to believe what I saw. Yeah, yesterday I had this encounter. So they're sharing these stories. They've had victory over the enemy. They, they've seen healing. They've seen repentance. They've seen salvation. They've seen lives transformed. Okay, so let's pick it back up at verse 30. We're in Mark chapter 6, and it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So here it is. They're back with Jesus. They're sharing with him what happened. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Woo! What good news that is. Like, we are exhausted from this time together. We're celebrating what God has done. And now we get a personal invitation to a Jesus retreat. (laughs) We get get some R&R and some time, undivided time, with Jesus himself. He knows of this great place. It's solitary, it's remote, it's quiet, it's kind of it's off the beaten path, and it's a place where they can go to relax and to rest, to, to kind of bask in the joy of their job well done, right? They've just done mighty things for the Lord, and now they get to enjoy this time off and time spent with Jesus. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. They're on the journey. They're almost there. But, (laughs) see that at the beginning of verse 33? But, uh uh-oh, dun-dun-dun. Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. The quiet, peace, serene location that they were going just has a group of thousands of party crashers who beat them to it. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This solitary, peaceful R&R retreat with Jesus that the disciples had hoped for is not going to happen. Instead of the serenity of a Sunday afternoon in Amish country, they get the hustle and bustle of let's say, a Saturday in Columbus in the fall when the Buckeyes have a home game. (laughs) Not what they were expecting. Not what they were wanting. You see, the word had gotten out. People saw who it was, that it was Jesus, that it was his followers, and they'd just been going around on this mission trip doing all of these amazing things, and so they actually beat them there. Based on the time of year it was, you could actually get to that spot faster on foot than you could in the boat. And that's exactly what happened. And you kind of imagine, actually, that as this crowd moved to the spot with great enthusiasm, with great urgency, as they passed through village after village after village, I think they just picked up even more and more and more people. Thousands of people along the way. Where are you guys going? We're going to see Jesus. He's going to land at that spot, you know, that campsite, that retreat out there. Um, according to the maps I've looked at, it's outside of Bethsaida. Yeah, you know the spot? Yeah, come along with us. And so you can just imagine they kind of grew in number as they go to see Jesus. What, you know, what's Jesus going to do next? 
So by the time Jesus and his disciples arrive, the party crashers are there. There's a huge crowd of people. We know, as the scriptures tell us, that the men numbered 5,000. That does not include any women or children that were there as well. And one of the gospel writers tells us there were indeed others there, women and children. So it's probably very conservative to say there may have been 15,000 people that were there. It's probably not inconceivable to say there were 20,000 or 30,000. If these were people who had families like the Reisner family, (laughs) we're talking, what, would that be 50,000? So it was a crowd. It was a crowd. We know there were 5,000 men plus, plus women and children. And so so much for our getaway. You know, this is the disciples landing at this, you know, supposedly quiet, solitary spot. You can imagine how they felt when they got there. Like, what are these people doing here? Why can't they just leave us alone for a while? You know, they were probably disappointed. But Jesus has a different attitude. He doesn't respond that way at all. He, he has, well, compassion, as we read in verse 34, because these people were like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know how much you know about sheep, but they need a shepherd. (laughs) They need a shepherd. They tend to wander. They tend to get themselves into predicaments and pickles and dangerous situations. Sheep, uh, they cannot find their way on their own. They're quite geographically challenged. Uh, Domesticated sheep, they don't just naturally even gravitate toward the best pastures. They They don't naturally find the most nutritious Uh, best places to be. They just keep wandering farther and farther and farther away. Then they end up all over the countryside. And also, if you know anything about a sheep, you know it really doesn't have any uh, defenses against predators. So if an animal wants to come and attack a sheep, there's really nothing the sheep can do much to protect itself. And so this is what moved Jesus to compassion, because as he saw the crowds, that's what he saw. He saw people who were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw how directionless they were. How they couldn't find true sustenance from, you know, what the world's been trying to feed them. What a great, what a great picture of people, of us, and we just wander farther away, nibble on this weed. Oh, maybe this will be tasty. Well, what about that big green weed over there? I'll, I'll amble over to that and nibble at it, right? That's what sheep do. That's what people do as well. We're directionless, and, and, and the, the sorry things that the world tries to feed us leave us um, empty. We're, we're defenseless against the enemy of our souls. And so Jesus, although he was tired, and his disciples, who were also exhausted from their ministry ventures, they had compassion, and they decided that they would minister to the people there. And so Jesus begins to minister to the people, began to teach them. You know, it's like, this is no time to rest. It's time to serve. It's time to bless these people. So let's pick it back up in verse 35. We're in Mark chapter 6. It says, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You catch that, what they said there. Send these people away. Isn't it time for our retreat, Jesus? Isn't it time for all these party crashers to just go away and be gone? Right? I mean, they go along with the ministry for a while. But then it's time to just, you know, ship them out. 
Like, like get these people out of here. Like, hey, Jesus, oh, bo- oh, boy, look at the time. It's one of those. Oh, boy, look at the time. Well, it's been fun, guys, but I think it's time for you to go. That's what the disciples are doing here. But Jesus has something else in mind. This is where we, of course, begin to see this miracle unfolding. The situation, as I understand it, is actually probably pretty dire. The the disciples were, in fact, using wisdom when they were saying, hey, now's the time because these people are, I mean, they're famished. They've been out here all day with nothing to eat. Or or is it possible maybe they had brought some snacks along and they'd eaten them all, right? I mean, they'd been there a long time. This, this throng of people, and Jesus is there. He's teaching them. They're, they're just enraptured by the words of our Lord. The hours have just passed hour after hour after hour. They're in a very remote place. So as I understand it, the situation is actually pretty dire. It's getting late. There's no McDonald's close by. We have to understand that. There's no quick drive through The people are getting hungry, and they're way out in this remote area. They're, way, they're away from the villages And so in the mind of the disciples, really, there's just one solution. They need to go. They they need to go right now. Send them home or at least send them into a village where, uh, you know, there's a marketplace nearby. And I also, of course, as I, you know, as I'm reading this story and even sharing it with us this morning, you can kind of tell. I I sense that in a way there's even a little bit of resentment, of course, from the disciples. Like, like, these people don't belong here. They didn't get the invitation. Like, get them out of here, right? Let's go. They made us cancel our getaway and our retreat with Jesus, so let's get them out of here. So let's look at verse 37. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than uh, half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and then give it to them to eat? So here's where Jesus calls him, his disciples to do the impossible. You see this horde of crowds. Well, again, we don't know the exact number. At least 5,000 men plus some women and children. 20,000, 30,000 people. And he goes, you feed them. Don't send them away. Feed them. Well, they're like, well, that's impossible. <laughs> it's Philip we, we know from John's gospel. He must have been good with math. Uh, it's like he pulls out his abacus and starts, you know, okay, let's see, I got a head count, and uh, we're going to need this much per person, and that is going to cost this much. So he does these calculations. The, the Greek text actually tells us how much he says they need in, in denarii, which was their currency of that day. But it ends up being about eight months of a, a typical day laborer's wage, eight months of of work, which they don't carry that kind of money with them. <laughs> and so he, he crunches some numbers, and he's thinking, we couldn't earn enough to buy that amount of bread if we right now spent eight months working hard collecting pay. And then he's thinking, and then after that, we, we have to travel. We're in a remote place, but to Bethsaida or wherever there's a close marketplace. And then we have to purchase food for thousands. And then we have to figure out, how are we going to transport all that food? I mean, how many carts would that be? We're going to have to transport it back out to the campsite. Then we're going to have to figure out some method of distributing it. It can't just be hectic and free-for-all. So this is what 
Philip and the disciples are thinking. Like, that this is impossible. We don't have the money. You're saying we're going to have to journey into the village. We're going to have to somehow buy it. We're going to somehow transport it, serve it to these people. It's just impossible. But what Jesus does is he changes their focus from what they don't have onto what they do have. Isn't that interesting? Isn't there something there for you and I today? That Jesus changes our focus on what we don't have, that we're so often focused on what do you have? What what is it that God has entrusted to you, and are you being a good steward with that, and are you offering whatever meager offering it is into the hands of God for him to use? Because little is much when the Lord is in it. And so in verse 38, he says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they came back to him, they said, five. Five little loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, Andrew, who's one of the followers of Jesus, he has kind of shaken down a small boy. Basically, he's stolen his lunch. (laughs) I don't know exactly what that scene looked like. Were the boy's parents there? I don't know. But Andrew is a bully and has taken this little boy's poor lunch and says, yeah, this guy, he had it. I took it from him. Five loaves, two fish. These are small. This is not like a giant loaf of bread. These are really small loaves of of barley that they ate. And two very small fish, probably the size of a sardine. This would have been a snack. This would have been common for someone traveling to take with them on the road just to sort of tide you over, to get you, give you the energy boost you need to keep traveling. Typical meal for a person on the road. And so this report probably only confirmed in the minds of the disciples that this is an impossible situation. Oh, yeah, oh, Jesus wants to know what we've got. Like, like, maybe we've got enough food here we can serve, and it turns out this is all we've got. So clearly we need to send this crowd away. <laughs> right, there's, no, there's no way we're going to feed this multitude. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He didn't want there to be any pushing and shoving, no scrambling, no squabbling. He, he wants everyone to sit down in an orderly fashion. The disciples are going to be able to walk back and forth that way among these rows, which would make it manageable for them to serve these tens of thousands of people. And so then we see in verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, here's what our Lord Jesus did. He gave thanks. He broke the loaves, and then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. So imagine you're a disciple, and you're facing these crowds of people, tens of thousands of people, and Jesus hands you, did you notice that? He gave it to his disciples and said, give it to the crowd. What an act of faith for the disciples to actually walk up to someone and say, here's your lunch. Ma'am, care for a sardine? <laughs> Th- I mean, thinking, this is enough for one person. Two, if they, if they skimp on it, and they have tens of thousands. What faith it took the disciples to say, we're going to serve because Jesus told us to serve. He gave it to them to give to the crowds of people. He first gave thanks. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus prayed. He thanked God for the provision of food. And then they handed it out. And everyone ate. So verse 42 says that. They all ate and were satisfied. Not only did they just eat. I mean, they were filled. These these people were hungry. 
they got all the fish sandwiches they wanted. And they were satiated. They were filled up. They were full. This was a full meal. This was not just a quick snack. This was eat as much as you want, a buffet. Okay, verse 30, 43, rather. It says, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And, of course, the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So what happens is after everyone has eaten then, they're instructed to pick up the leftovers. And they do. And as they put the leftovers into these baskets, the end count is 12 baskets. I just love this, right? Like, not only were these disciples used to perform this miracle of feeding the 5,000 and more, not only were they used to minister to these crowds and to bless them and to serve them, but they were rewarded with food themselves. A whole basket full. What a great picture of how God blesses those who serve others. Blesses them abundantly. In John's account of this miracle, the Gospel of John, Jesus says these words. He says, let nothing be wasted as they're, as they're collecting the, the leftovers, the, you know, those 12 baskets full of breadcrumbs. He says, let nothing be wasted. Now, surely he's talking about the breadcrumbs, the food that's left over that needs to be put into those baskets. But is it possible that he was also talking about not wasting an opportunity to serve people who are in need? Is it possible that when Jesus says, let nothing be wasted, he's thinking about even when you're tired, even when you say, I'm ready for some R&R and a retreat and a quiet place, when you see the people who are like sheep without a shepherd, directionless and lost, wandering from God and wandering from the truth, don't waste the opportunity. They're here, and so we're going to minister to them. That's the attitude of Jesus. And I just wonder, when he says, let nothing be wasted, could it... Could it be that he's talking about not wasting an opportunity just as much as he's talking about not wasting leftovers? You know, sometimes the most meaning in life, the most meaning is found when you serve someone else. When you say it's not about what I want or what I need, it's about someone else who's hopeless and needs encouragement. It's about someone else who lacks something and the Lord can use me to provide it. Again, even when you're tired, Even when you say, I deserve this couch time. I deserve this time off. I deserve to just unplug and get away. Okay. I I love this story, by the way. I think you can probably tell that from walking through it. So we've looked together this morning at this great miracle of Jesus. He has remarkable power. I, I don't have time this morning to share all of the stories of Jesus' power. But this one clearly shows the remarkable power of Jesus. And so uh, before we conclude our time together, what I want to do is I want to consider what can we learn from this story? What can we draw from this amazing tale of the miraculous work of Jesus? Number one is Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one that sustains. He is the one that can bring nourishment even to our souls. So we have this teaching in John 6, verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus meets our needs. See, it's it's when you go to those other sources. It's when you, you, you get lured in by those weeds that are just outside of the camp. It's that sheep that says, I think I'll go munch over there. 
It's when you feed on the things that the world has to offer. When, when, you, when you go to any other source, my friend, any other source, you're going to be left malnourished. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be disappointed. There is no relationship that will satisfy you. There is no substance. There is no experience. There is no amount of money that when you reach that number, you look in your bank account and go, all right, now I'm complete. You'll never reach it. The richest man in, in the U.S. was asked that one, one time, how much is enough? He said, just one more dollar. Nothing will satisfy but Jesus. You know what the 23rd Psalm says about when the Lord is your shepherd, you lack no good thing. You shall not be in want. Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So, so coming to Jesus, it means turning from the things that the world offers. We, so we've talked about that. We've mentioned this word repentance. And it simply means I say no to those weeds. Those are not things that are good for me. And I say yes to the bread of life that actually nourishes my soul, that gives me hope and salvation. And so it's when you put your faith in Jesus that you experience the kingdom of God and true salvation. It's not your good deeds. It's not your family heritage. It's not where you come from. It's not your status or your standing. It's when you confess that you are a desperate sinner in need of God's grace. And each and every one of us are. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, the scriptures say. And then you can embrace all that Christ has for you. Here's the way Paul puts it in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And listen, his resume was impressive. He he had a lot of things that he could have touted as important or significant, but what he calls them is garbage. Uh, The Greek word's actually even stronger than that. I won't use it. He says, compared to knowing Jesus, compared to knowing Jesus and having salvation by putting my faith in him, Everything else, it it doesn't compare. It doesn't come close. And so Jesus is the bread of life. And I want you to hear the good news this morning, that when you turn to him, you repent, you put your faith in him. He embraces you, he welcomes you, and he changes you. You become his child. You're a son, you're a daughter of the almighty God. If you've never done that, I pray you do it today. Meet with me after the service. I I would love to just walk with you to the foot of the cross and, and pray with you as you turn your life over to the Lord. So what else can we learn from this story, the feeding of the 5,000? We learn that Jesus is the bread of life. We also learn that Jesus has the power to do the impossible. And this is a significant point for us today, that he can do all things. So from the gospel accounts, we have 37 miracles, I should say recorded, (laughs) miracles that Jesus performed. 37 in just a short three-year ministry span and probably way more than that. Well, John tells us that at the end of his gospel. He's like, ah, that, there aren't enough books in the whole world to fill telling you what Jesus did and what he's about. We also know, that does not include the resurrection, by the way. It really should, because we know that even death couldn't hold him down. So, so listen, Jesus can do the impossible. 
He can do things like take a meager amount of food and say, here, let's serve it to tens of thousands of people. He can walk on water. He can do things that are impossible. So when you and I only have a few loaves and a few fish, why is it that we say, woe is me. This is never going to work. This, is ne- this isn't going to feed who it needs to feed. Why don't we say, this is what I've got. I'm going to offer it to the Lord because he can do the impossible. I'm putting my faith in him, the bread of life, and I'm going to leave it in his hands. Little is much, my friends, when the Lord is in it. So, so let Jesus change your focus. Maybe that's where we need to go. Let Jesus change your focus from what you don't have onto what you do have. What has he blessed you with? And then offer it to him and just see what the Lord does with it. And again, let me just say, do you need wisdom? Well, ask him for it. Do you need healing? Ask the Lord to heal you. Go to him in full faith and say, Lord, this is what I know you can do, and I'm asking you to do it. If it's your will, heal me. What is it that you're facing right now that's an obstacle and a distraction? Is it a broken relationship? Is it an addiction? Is it that wayward child? And you just despair. Is she ever going to come back to Christ? Take those things to the Lord. Offer those things to him, just as that little boy did. Hey, I've got five loaves and two fish. And see what God does. Okay, one more thing we can learn from this story as we wrap up this morning, and that is that Jesus calls us to serve others. It's really clear as we study this story, especially when you kind of put yourself in the role of the disciple, that he's calling us to serve other people, even when we're tired. So Jesus used the disciples here to feed these hungry crowd, and he wants to use us to bring the bread of life to a needy world. Make no mistake, It was Jesus who performed these miracles. Like, he's the one that gets the credit. But notice that it was indeed the disciples who fed the people, that that Jesus chose to work through his disciples. Like, like God can do perfectly well and fine without us. I want to be clear on that, that that he doesn't need us. He doesn't depend on us. Like, Like, he didn't actually need five loaves and two fish. He could have called forth bread from heaven to fall down and feed the people. Jesus is perfectly capable of that. He he created the cosmos and the universe with just speaking it into existence. So he doesn't actually need us to do these things. But what a privilege and honor that as we look at the scriptures, we see that he delights in using his followers, calling his followers to be his hands and feet. What a joy and privilege we have to serve Jesus, and, and he will strengthen us for it, even when we're weary, even when we're tired. So think about the disciples in this scenario. They've just done great and mighty things. They've just done things that people are talking about. They're getting pats on the back like, way to go, man, you're amazing. I saw you heal that guy. That sermon you preached was just extraordinary. So they, they've been on the mountaintop. They've been on the platform, and now what does Jesus ask them to do? Uh, it's time to bust tables. It's time to do the very unglamorous work of seating people in groups of 50s and 100s and then feeding them and then picking up after them. He's developing in them that servant's heart. 
They, they just went out and they, they just did the great things with the spotlight on them. And they were, they were celebrating that. That's good. But he doesn't want them to lose sight of the humble, unsung heroes that faithfully serve. And that's who Jesus is calling us to be as well. After World War II, a group of German students volunteered to help rebuild a cathedral. This was in London. It was severely damaged by all the bombing and fighting, of course. So they did well with most of the cathedral, except for one statue. It was broken into many pieces, the story goes. It was a marble statue of Jesus. And originally, it stood with Christ standing with arms outstretched, and the inscription under it read, Come unto me. See, they were able to find the pieces and reconstruct the entire statue with the exception of the hands. The hands were gone. They'd been completely demolished. And so when they finished, here's what they had. They had a statue of Jesus with outstretched arms but no hands. And so they grappled with what to do. Are we going to put new hands on it? That's going to look strange. Or are we going to leave it as it is without the hands? And so they decided to leave it. But they changed the inscription. And it now says... He has no hands but ours. He has no hands but ours. So really it was inspired by a poem by Teresa of Avila, and I'll share that with us this morning. Her poem says, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. And so again, recognizing that it's Jesus who has the remarkable power, not his disciples and not us. It's he who performs the miracle, and yet this significant truth of he calls us to serve others. He doesn't want us to just bask in the spotlight of all the great things we've accomplished. But he says it's time to bust tables. It's time to pick up, pick up food scraps after strangers. And I would submit to you one of the greatest blessings in life is to be used by God to serve someone else. Oh, that God would develop in us that sort of servant heart and mindset. So friends, let's simply give to the Lord whatever meager offering we have. And let's watch as he multiplies it by his remarkable power. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for your presence with us for your hand that guides us and blesses us and provides our every need. And so, Lord, I'm mindful today that that we are a needy people, that, that we struggle at times with being in despair and we need hope, that we struggle with being impatient. We want things on our timeline, and yet we need to wait on you. We struggle in our sickness and pain, and Lord, we need you to heal. That ultimately, Lord, we sin and we do wrong and we wander from the truths of your word. We seek the pleasures of the world, and they've left us stranded, forgotten, alone, 
and malnourished. And yet what, what a great picture, Jesus, you tell us about that shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one, that Jesus, you are indeed the good shepherd. You're the shepherd of our souls. And so our greatest need today, God, is salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. That because of his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, we can be in right relationship with you. We, we can begin a relationship with you now that lasts forever. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day when he returns, when we spend eternity with you. And until that day, Lord, would you use us as your hands and feet to serve others and just stay laser focused on, on sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with a world that's so desperately in need, broken and needy and dying. So Lord, may we just simply offer the bread of life that when we taste of it, we'll never be hungry again. Thank you, Jesus, that you satisfy completely and eternally. We pray it in your name. Amen.